0: Matt. Well, if you got a Bible, would you grab hold of it and make your way to First John? Again, if you brought one, head over there. If you didn't bring one, you want one, they're in front of you. The chairs in front of you. There's Bibles there, page number on the screen. You could get there rapidly. If you want to use a, an electronic device and maybe a Bible app that you enjoy working there, you're welcome to do that as well. One way or another, have the Word of God in front of you so that you're following along with us. That's the invitation here. That's the invitation in our overflow and online as well. Hey, grab a Bible so that you're following with us and that through the word of God, he would speak to us. Really is what we need this morning. It's what we're praying for. You know, we think about it on Sunday mornings. Again, we're working through verse John. We're doing so verse by verse. And so today we are picking up where we left off last week. And we're hoping that through this kind of journey through this, that God would be just giving us help and strength in that. So let's take a moment and pray for that. I'm going to lead in prayer, but I hope you would pray as well. Let's just ask that God would help us to understand what he has for us and that you and I would hear his word this morning. Let's go before him now. God, I do thank you that you are a God who is faithfully at work. I'm confident in that. I'm confident in your faithfulness. I know this, that you said you would never leave us. You would never abandon us, which means you're here right now. I'm also aware of what you tell us about your word that it's powerful, that it's like a sharp two-edged sword, that it's a, a thing that just doesn't return to you void. God, your presence, your word, those are solid. Lord, the thing that needs to be aligned with that is our hearts right now and, our, and just our listening to you. Would you cause that to happen right now? So that, Lord, anything that would hinder us from hearing you right now, you would just graciously deal with, strengthen us physically, emotionally, Wash over us, cleanse us, draw us, speak to us, breathe into us life that helps us to hear what you're saying. And then, by the power of your Spirit, help us to understand the text that we see this morning, but more, to hear your voice. Give us ears to what your Spirit is speaking to us so that today we've heard it and it would work good inside of our lives. I believe you in your faithfulness, I believe in your ability to do that for each person here hear. Help us to hear. I ask right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yeah, those are the words of Jesus. Those are the words of Jesus the night before he went to the cross and he looks out at his disciples and he says, this is going to define you. This is going to define who you are. This is the way the world should be able to recognize that you're my followers. He says, by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Yeah, this one another love is what he's calling us to, and it's that which we get to talk about this morning. We get to talk about what this is a little bit and talk about where it's going and where we need to go in that. But before we dive in there, let me just pause and say this. For some of you, you might be finding yourself sitting there going, didn't we already talk about this? I mean, I kind of remember. I mean, I think we already, like it was just a couple months ago. And the answer is yes, we already talked about it. And we're going to talk about it today. And we're going to talk about it more in 1 John. The book of 1 John is an interesting book that some of you have been with us and you've been journeying with us and you might remember that we've told you that unlike some books of the Bible that move very logically and kind of sequentially in thought, John moves much more in almost a spiral so that he talks about something, leaves it, talks about something else and then circles around, do it again and picks it up almost right where he left off saying the same thing that he's already said, and yet maybe turning it just a little bit. Then he leaves it, and we'll come back again. And so, yes, we already talked about the essential place of the love of God in our lives, and today we're going to talk about it, and next week we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to leave it, and then we're going to come back to it again, and again a couple more times in the book of 1 John, and yet there's power in that. There's power in it. You know, that's exactly how we're going to cover it, just moving verse by verse believing it in his repetition and it's kind of re-landing on some of the things that we saw so that we'd hear it again and yet more kind of the distinctive that's here but here again the absolute essential place of this and the place that God would long for you and I to hear that. So with that as an invitation to see it let's open let's just read that there hopefully again you got your Bibles we'll pick it up there in verse 10 and read our section that we're going to cover this morning. In this the children of God And the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has, has eternal life abiding in him. All right. Love. Love one another. That's the call. And he begins this section by letting us know that the love that he's talking about is one of the things that manifests salvation, that makes that clear. Again, that's what he said in verse 10, "In this, the children of God and the children of devil are manifest." Well, that's interesting. Well, we want to talk about this. We want to talk about how love works in there, but let's build towards it for a moment. Instead, I want you just to focus on the word manifest for a moment. One of the interesting things is we've already seen that in our context, that if you were with us last week, it talked about how Jesus was manifest for us. Go back and see it. Go back to verse 5. He says it this way, and you know that he, speaking of Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Then jump down to verse 8, he who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was, catch it, manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was manifested for us. He was manifest for us. The word manifest is just an interesting word that has the idea of appearing or shining or is made known. That he, you know, came into the world and, and his light shined into the darkness. He was made known into this dark world to rescue us. He was done that for us, and that flows into this moment that that's the source of it. And then yet out of that, kind of holding this idea of Jesus being manifest, he says, but now we get to see how the children of God are manifest, and yet also the devil. You've already read it a couple times, but see it again, verse 10. In this, the children of God, that is Christians, and the children of the devil are manifest. Here's how we can tell. Here's how that can be made known, how we know and others know that, that that's taking place. How is that? Well, he tells us two things here. It says, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. One of the things that manifests that makes apparent, makes clear that someone's a follower of Jesus is the practice of righteousness. Now, if you weren't with us last week, you have no idea how we got here. I mean, in fact, it's not going to be connected to the rest of what we say this morning because he's kind of transitioning to talk about the love of God, but here he's telling us that he's locking into where we saw last week. So if you missed last week's message, you might want to go back and get that. I'll just quickly give you a re- recap of it. As he talked about the, the way we kind of interact with sin, what sin looks like, and he began by, he began by saying, hey, there's no perfect Christian. Let us make that clear. Nobody's perfect, and we have no expectation of that, nor is it a biblical standing, but there are phony Christians. Phony Christians, and one of the ways that's marked out is they say they know Jesus, but their life completely counter to, is, is counter to that. There's no repentance. There's no turning. There's, there's no uh, just sorrow over their sin. There's no kind of growing in Christ likeness, and, and God would say, well, then that, that can't be true, Because if Jesus is at work in us, it will will work that in us. We did talk about some Christians who just don't even believe, and part of that has them locked down into this, that they find themselves deceived, and yet he was inviting us into a place that the true Christian is a struggling Christian, that is struggling with sin, struggling in the midst of that. But we did note last week that for every true Christian, sin cannot be that habitual, rebellious, continual lifestyle. It has to be a place where we're changing. It has to be a place that, that we're growing. Our, you struggle with sin. We struggle with the flesh. But what he tells us in verse 9 is spiritual DNA doesn't lie. If the life of God is inside of us, we'll be being changed. Because Jesus was manifest to take away our sin. He was manifest to deliver us from the devil. I mean, that just has to be that way. And so in that, it helps us understand that. Now, again, if you're just tracking with me, or at least I can kind of say it to you this way. There is no perfect Christian, and I like the way it's even referred to, practicing righteousness. It's not perfect righteousness. It is a practice of righteousness. It is a, a lifestyle that's moving in that direction, growing in that direction, and it's one of the things that helps us have confidence. It's one of the things that helps us know that we are His. Well, again, that's what He said, and then He adds love, but go back and read it one more time. Verse 10, in this, The children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Again, that's where we were last week. Nor is he who does not love his brother. That is loving one another. Loving Christians is one of the things that is meant to define who we are. Now, let me try to make sure I say this clearly here, though it would define our whole subject matter this morning. Don't get me wrong we're supposed to love people. There's no doubt about it that God loves the world, and He wants you and I to love the world, and He tells us to to love our enemies, and and that's certainly true. But what's in focus here is not just that. What's in focus here is the love that happens between Christians, the loving of our brother, of our brethren, he says, The, the love that unites us in the body of Christ, and that love becomes incredibly different and powerful and distinctive. Now, one of the things he's letting us know is that these things are things that manifest or make clear or make apparent or make known that someone really is a child of God. And that's an important understanding inside the book of First John. Now, some of you know this because we've already talked about it. And again, it kind of moves in a circular fashion. We're going to talk about it again. Yes, it's possible to know if you're really saved. That's what it tells us in 1 John. These things are written so that you might know that you know that you could be absolutely confident, that you could be assured of your salvation. Yes, that's possible. Yes, it's possible to have an assurance of salvation. First John, John gives it to us, but what he tells us about knowing that you're really a Christian is sometimes different than the way that people go at it. He's going to give us seven things inside the book of 1 John that give us confidence, that help us know that we know that we're really his. We've already covered two of them in previous studies. We talked about back in chapter 2 that one of the reasons that we could know that we're His is if we keep to the Bible. If we believe the Bible, and if the Bible is authoritative in our life, that gives us confidence. If on top of that, with that, we have an abiding relationship with Christ, that is, we're not just holding to Him, but even walking in His ways, that can give us confidence. Now, I just want to make sure you see it in that text, so it's only one chapter back, so flip over there in chapter 2 in your Bible and just note how He says it. Verse 3, now, by this, we know that we know him. Like, here's how you can know. You can know that you know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Like you don't hold to the Bible. That didn't work. I mean, the only, one of the ways that you know that you know is because you believe and you hold to the power of the Scriptures. On top of that, verse 5, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to himself also walk just as he walked. There's this abiding relationship that grows us in Christ's likeness, and that gives us confidence. Well, this morning we get to add the the, the third and fourth one. We saw already it's going to be this practicing of righteousness that gives a confidence of salvation, and then there's going to be the one that we talk about this morning, loving one another. Now we're going to dive into this more uh, in, in a couple of weeks. We'll talk more about this idea of having an assurance of salvation. I just wanted to pause here and make sure that you saw it, that certainly one of the things that's being laid out to us is a way that we can know that we know that we could have this assurance of salvation and love is one of the ways that happens. That when we have the love that we're gonna talk about it, that that becomes a manifestation of that salvation. So he tells us that in verse 10 and then adds to it in verse 11 this. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He gives us this, and this love he's telling us is a manifestation of God's plan from the beginning, and yet it's more than that. In fact, it's right here that he connects the dots to what we talked about back in chapter two, that some of you might have been here, and you might have remembered that, hey, we did talk about this before, and so what he does here in verse 11 is he just makes a quick small reference to what was talked about there, but just so you see it, why don't you jump back over there with me for a moment. Turn left again back to chapter 2. We just read in a moment ago through verse 6. We'll pick it up in verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard from the beginning. But again, it's also a new commandment, verse 8. I write to you in which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Yeah, we talked about this last, you know, again, back in that study back in January, I think it was, that we talked about what this was. We talked about a number of things, and I'll just kind of put a little quick outline from that message here up on the screen. By the way, quick FYI, you might even know. I mean, the background that we used back then is kind of the background that, for the most part, I'm using this morning, and that's intentional. That doesn't probably mean something to everybody, but I just want you to know, yeah, we're back in the same place we were, that we taught back then that love was always God's plan. It was an old commandment. It's his original plan for mankind. It's what he always wanted, but now it's new. Now it becomes new in Christ that Jesus came, and he both shows that love, demonstrates that love, but now empowers that love, that now in Christ, if we believe him, that the love of God isn't just a principle on the outside, it's the power of God on the inside, that literally transforms our life, and this love that is winning, it's going to win, the. I mean, the whole world will fall, everything else is passing away, he says it's all passing away, but this is that which lasts forever, He's telling us genuinely this is that, so that when Jesus stood there on that night talking to the disciples, and he would say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says, this is the new thing. This is something that's brand new. Not that it was never expressed of God before, but never possible like it is now. Never in the reality it is. And so much so, again, that Jesus would say that verse that we already have seen, by this all will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, it's definitive. It's meant to be defining. It's this plan that God has unpacked for us, but now made possible in Christ, now made powerful in Christ. Well, again, what he's done here in our text is he's telling us this. He's saying, okay, this is how we know we're his, because that love. And this is what we've already talked about. It's always been God's plan, but now fulfilled in Christ. But now he wants to add to it. Now he wants to add to it. Just reading it in context, verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, comma, verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. It's just an interesting thing that John does here. He says love, in one sense, it's not murder. It, it, it doesn't go that way. Now, I just want you to pause with me, and I want you to think about it, because I just want to tell you, probably in a natural way, none of our brains would have gone there. Like, let's talk about, you know, love, I just want you to, you know, it's not murdering anybody. It's like, well, okay, yeah, I, I, I guess that makes sense, but what, why? Why did we go here? I mean, what is it we're actually saying? Well, before we dive into where he's going, I want to just pause and say how interesting this is. It's interesting because in one sense, most people almost instinctively go here when you talk to them about salvation. I don't know if it's happened to you that you've sat down with somebody and maybe you've talked to them about God and, and you'll ask them, hey, are you a Christian? Or you know, what would happen when you die? Where, where do you think you're going to go? Would, would you go to heaven or hell? And people will say, well, you know, I think I'm going to go to heaven. And you might ask them, well, why? why? Why do you think that? And it's funny. It's funny how often it happens. Well, I've never murdered anybody. You know, I just never, never killed any. I mean, I'm just telling you, there's something that almost resonates inside the hearts of people that somehow that's almost like, why did you even go there? Like, why, what, why did that become the main thing that you will hear? Why is that why? And there's something happening there that I think is fascinating and worthy of just thinking through a little bit this morning. But before we go past that, can I just speak to you if you are that person? Maybe you're in this room right now. Maybe somebody brought you. Maybe you're in our overflow. Maybe you're online. And honestly, you, right now, you are thinking you're going to go to heaven because you've never murdered anybody. You're kind of like, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, if you get to know me, I think God's going to be like, oh, you're good. You know, you're coming in. I just want to tell you that's not true. I mean, the Bible's really clear. I like how it gives it to us in John chapter 3. It says, he who believes in the Son, in Jesus, has eternal life and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So I to tell you how incredibly clear this is. Life is divided up into two categories, people who are going to heaven and people who are going to hell. And what makes that distinction is Jesus. It's believing in Jesus. He says, if you believe in the Son, you have life. You don't believe in the Son, you have wrath. That's who yours. That's the only choices. That's the only choices. There's no way that anybody's getting to heaven on merit. Nobody's going to get there and go, well, I didn't kill anybody. You know, so that's, I I deserve, it's never going to work for you. And I just need to speak to you, if that's you this morning, and tell you, you desperately need Jesus. I want to tell you, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God any other way, but you can't. But you need to believe upon Jesus. You need to be saved. And we plead with you and and appeal to you today, if that's you, that today you would hear through all of this that you need Jesus. And we'd love to talk to you more about that. But we're praying even now that God would rescue and draw you, if you're outside of this, into a relationship with him. Before we leave this idea of murder and talk exactly where it's going in this text, I also want to say this. Not only do we need to address those who think they're going to heaven because they haven't murdered, I need to address somebody who thinks they're not going to heaven because they have murdered. Now, here's the deal. I mean, I just want to tell you, it's probably true. Maybe somebody in this room, maybe somebody you're watching online, and this is your problem. You know, you have, I mean, maybe in your life or maybe in a war and you're like, so what does that mean for me? I mean, I, you, maybe you just heard, it jumped off the page there in verse 15 and simply said that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And, and you're wondering right now, what does that mean for me? Am I, am I out? And I just want to tell you, I love how God would say it when he gives such lists of horrendous things. He tells us like, for example, in 1 Corinthians six, and such were some of you. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Please hear me. And again, I know I'm not talking to everybody, but I think I'm talking to somebody. God can forgive murder. God, God can do that. I know that not only because of verses like this, but because he's done it. Paul the apostle was a murderer. He was one that literally murdered Christians, hunted them, and killed them. It would haunt him, but he found incredible forgiveness. God can do that. So please don't hear in this, this morning, that you cannot be saved. You, know, you certainly can. Warren Wearsby said it well in the, about this text this way. He says, we are not told that murderers cannot be saved. The issue here is not whether a murderer can become a Christian, but whether a man can continue being a murderer and still be a Christian. And the answer is no. No, you can't so that no murderer has eternal life. It's not that you can't be forgiven, but you can't stay there. And that's where we need to go. Okay, so leaving that again, hoping to give a hope there and longing to draw to life, if that's happening for either kind of people that we just talked about, now let's come back to and try to understand, how did we get here? I mean, so end of verse 11, we should love one another. Then in verse 12, again, kind of comma, same sentence, not as Cain not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother, that what he's calling us to is to not be like Cain. Now, here's the deal. Probably most of you are familiar with Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons and and, and what took place in that. Probably most of you have read through, you know, the Bible or certainly the first chapters in Genesis. Nevertheless, let's go and see it. So keep your finger here or your note, just something there in the text, and jump over to the first book of the Bible. should be easy for all of you. Go to the beginning and go to Genesis chapter 4 with me. Genesis 4, and let's read this account that's referenced here in 1 John, reading what took place and then understanding how it's a picture for you and I. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass then that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Wow. Okay, there you go. Here's our account. Here's the story. Cain and Abel, that's what's being laid out for us. That's what you and I need to kind of walk around this morning and think through what God's telling us here in 1 John. Numbers of things we could talk about in this text, but I want you to begin with understanding that Cain was a worshiper of God. Yeah, when this text lays it out, where do we find Cain at the very beginning? It tells us in verse 3 that he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, you just need to stop and think about it that way, because if you're not careful, your brain will spin up some picture that's not really a true picture. I mean, sometimes you'll think about Cain and Abel, and you'll picture like, Cain, he's like the hoodlum, you know, he's like, he's like the gangster kind of guy, you know, and, and he's just like, you know, it's totally bad news, and, and, and that's not the picture that's being laid out for us. If we were to translate this into 2022, Cain and Abel are sitting right beside each other in church. They're both together. They're both come to sing songs, and they're both worshiping. They're both, you know, sitting, and they both look like church people, if you will, but it tells us that Cain was not accepted by God, that Cain was not accepted. Notice again, verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now, without spending a whole lot of time on it, it's probably both. In one sense, Cain is wrong. I mean, his works are wrong, his life is wrong, and so because his life is wrong, God doesn't accept his offering. It's probably also that the offering was wrong, that very likely the right offering was the lamb that uh, you know, that Abel or of the flock that Abel brings, ultimately being a picture of Christ. Lots of interesting stuff there, enough just to know Cain's off base. And God's like, if you fix who you are, it'll change. He just says, you know, if you do well in verse seven, will you not be accepted? And, and he calls Cain to that. He calls him to turn, to, to practice righteousness. Can we use those terms from First John? Hey, if you practice righteousness, this would change for you. This would work out, but Cain was not accepted. And then Cain murders Abel. Hear me as clear as I can say it. It's the first murder in the history of the world. It's the first death. Nobody had ever died yet. This is Adam and Eve. This is the very first person to ever die on planet Earth. This is the very first murder. And yet somehow as you watch this, it becomes something that flowed from that moment to this in our world, flowed from that moment into this space, that something was happening here that somehow is incredible for us to understand. So with trying to figure that out, let's leave Genesis and now go back to First John. Hopefully you kept a marker there so you can get there quickly. Go back over to First John and let's notice what God is telling us. First John chapter three, verse twelve. It says, not as Cain who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did this happen? Why did the first murder ever happen? Why? It happened because Cain was doing wrong. His works were evil and he was so agitated by his brother's righteousness, that it moved him to kill him. He was so agitated because Abel's righteous were righteous that it brought about the very first death. It brought about the very first murder. Wow. That's just powerful. I mean, honestly, it is. In fact, if you can catch this here, the rest of it is going to begin to unfold for you. If you can feel what was taking place in Genesis and even kind of how he's doing this, you'll understand that it's still definitive today. That's still a part of where we are today and what needs to take place. But hold that and let's go back to it. So we're looking at this, love manifests salvation, this old commandment, this plan, it's not murder. And now he begins to unpack a little bit more. So go back into our text, pick it up in verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Pause there, hates you. Well, yeah, we're gonna begin to contrast love and hate, death and life. And yet there is a powerful understanding that we've just moved from murder to hatred, and you need to understand there's a definite connection there, that there's a definite connection that the heart uh, of murder is hatred. Now, we absolutely know this because Jesus said so. In the Sermon on the Mount, he unpacked it this way for us. He said, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So he's giving this Sermon on the Mount, unpacking the kingdom of God in many ways. He says, you've heard it said, don't murder. Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. He says that you, you know this. You know that this is what is biblical. You know that that's what's of law. But Jesus wants to tell us there's more. He says, but I want to tell you. I say to you that who is ever angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. It's not just the person who actually commits the murder." It's the heart that leads to murder that really is the problem. So much so that in the life of Christ, he's saying to us, hey, if that's where you are, even if you don't ever actually commit the murder, you know, kind of thing, but you're angry. I mean, unrighteously angry in the midst of that. He says, it's as if it's the same thing. I'm going to hold you accountable for it. He would go on to say, and whoever says to his brother, kind of just a, an insult kind of a deal, shall be in danger of the, of the council. But whoever says, you fool, she be in danger of hellfire. I so, said, wow. I just want you to understand Jesus not only upped the, the game in many ways, but he dove into the heart of it. It's not just the action, it's the heart. In fact, that's powerful because that really helps us understand the life of Christ, that he's doing something not just in the external, but in the internal. He's changing us from the inside out and letting us know the problem is a heart problem. So much so, even if it doesn't ever manifest, the heart that's there really is the problem. So he's letting us know this. And so we've just moved from murder to hatred. But he wants us to see where this hatred in our world is specifically found. Because it is the world. Go back to it and see it. Verse 13, do not marvel. Don't let this surprise you. Don't let this amaze you. Don't marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. That the world would hate Christians, that the world would, would, would do this, that they would hate Christians, those who are righteous, is something that we didn't get to look at it right now and say, yes, that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly the way this goes. In fact, Jesus would say it this way. Speaking of his life and the life that then flows from him and through us, he says in John 3, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. He says, here's what really messes everything up. This is the condemnation. The light has come. Who's the light? Jesus is the light. I mean, that's you know what you get. It? Like, that's what it says in the, t- in the context. He's the hope. He's the only hope of the world. He's the light of the world. But you and I are also lights. He said, we're the light of the world, that the gospel now shines through us. And so there's a beautiful connection that we get a chance to be the light and the hope of God in this world but he just wants us to know. Here's what happens. The light shines inside of a dark world and and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone, Jesus says, practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. He says, here should be your solid expectation. So somebody who is practicing evil like they're doing evil, like this is what they, are, they live their life doing, don't expect them to be excited about the light because the light exposes their darkness and it causes them to react against that darkness. It causes a, a reaction to move against it. And he says, you just need to understand that's our expectation in this world. In fact, Jesus was so clear about this. He would say later, the night before he went to the cross, he says, these things I've spoken to me, spoken to you, excuse me, that in me, You may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I mean, it's really, really clear. Like, it was never meant to be confusing to us. He said, I need you to understand something. You're going to have problems in this world. This world is not going to like you. You're going to have tribulation, trials, and trouble. You can have peace, but the peace isn't the world's peace, it's my peace. You can have peace, but don't have any expectation that it's going to be differently. Don't have any expectation that it's going to go differently because that's how it's going to happen. In fact, 2 Timothy, Paul would say it this way, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Hey, take this as a promise if you will live it out doing what we talked about last week. What did we talk about last week? Practicing righteousness if you're going to walk the life of Christ, and that's going to manifest itself out in in you living a righteous life and doing the right thing, understand something. That always brings persecution. It's not sometimes. It's not to some people. He doesn't say, yes, and most of those who live godly in Christ Jesus, or some of those who live godly in Christ Jesus. he says all. (laughs) Like all. All is all. If you will live godly in Christ, you need to expect something. It's not going to go well with you in the world. Our world is set against this. Our world is moving against this. And that should not be misunderstood or without expectation. And I found myself thinking about this. And as I was doing so, I was drawn to some words from Martin Niemöller, who was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany as Hitler came to power. Now, I'm going to use this quote, but I just want to quickly say it this way: I'm not endorsing everything that Martin Niemoller says because he did say a couple weird things. So, just FYI, just don't take this as a total, uh, just uh, just kind of backing of his Man, nevertheless, it was worth knowing. Because he was there, he's a pastor in Germany as Hitler comes to power, and at first he was kind of supportive in the midst of it, but he began to see where it comes, and so he became a founding member of what was known as the Confessing Church, uh, the church that kind of stood against the Nazi movement and stood against those things, and against the control and the power and the manipulation uh, that began to happen within the culture and within the society and within the church. And he stood against it, and so much so that he ends up being arrested. He was put in a a couple different concentration camps in the midst of it, barely survived uh, and made its way out, and, and then continued to kind of speak about these things afterwards. But one of the things he spoke about as he thought about those days, he would say it this way. He said, the fellowship of Jesus has no promise that it will ever be in the majority. We must indeed guard against thinking that there can ever be any kind of human security or assurance against the world's hatred. We should never kind of self-expecting that. As we think about it this way, all parleys, all truces, all peace treaties, they are unreal. For the world must hate the Christian fellowship. And because of the fellowship, so long as it is Christian fellowship, it cannot hate. And it must suffer. At the hands of the world. Now, I just want you to hear this as a must because he's saying what Paul just told us all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. He says, You should just get it in your head right now. You should just get really clear. Like the world, and we are never going to be aligned with the world. That is not going to happen. And in all attempts to be aligned with the world for sake of said peace is never going to go well with us. Now, that was a big deal for the church. It, there is Hitler was coming to power because at first they began trying like you know Hitler would you know say hey we I want this I want this from you I want this from you I want this from you and the church okay well you know really want to get along with the government really want to get along with Hitler really want to make sure that we're on the good side of this and they slowly lost all measure of the gospel. And, and so, Nehemiah comes and says, you can't do that. I mean, fundamentally, it was wrong even to think that you could be at peace with the world that would ever allow you to make such concessions. Now, I say all that, and again, I just want to tell you, it was true in Nazi Germany. But don't mistake it. It's true now. It's true in our world. I mean, it's just true in this place. Some of you feel it, Some of you, you you feel it right now, and you feel at odds with our world, and you're very aware that there is a solid persecution against Christianity, that somehow Christians are the most persecuted, the most maligned anywhere, among any place within our society. It is absolutely true, and it's fundamentally a part of our world, but it's also probably partly coming even more in measured ways. Kind of as I think about the rise of Nazism, and I think about where we are, I'm just telling you, you know, I'm not a prophet. I can't tell you how it's going to play out or how long but I'm just gonna give you my personal expectation. If Jesus doesn't come back soon, the way our world is going, we're heading to collision. We're heading to a collision where our world is holding to moral principles that reject the gospel and reject Christ and and heading towards a morality that eventually is gonna find us at face-to-face odds with the world. And what we need to know is, yeah, that's gonna happen. I mean, the world, we're never gonna be, I'm not gonna give up my beliefs to try to have peace with the world. Because such peace is not even possible. It would, I mean, it would, it would be wrong to even go that way. I should solidly know and expect that this world is set against Christ. No surprise to me in that. No, no shock to me in that. Instead, I want to be found with Christ. So holding that, go back to our text now. So he tells us this again. Do not marvel, verse 13, my brethren, if the world hates you. Verse 14, We know that if we have passed from death to life, because we love the brethren, he who does not love his brother abides in death. He says, here's what we know. If you love God's people, you love the brethren, then this is like a, yes, you know, this this is one of those confidence builders. This is one of those, yes, you're on the right side of things. If you find yourself loving God's people, but, verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Even though you actually haven't murdered yet, the hatred itself is murder, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If you hate Christians, if you hate that, then this is a bad thing. It's a a mark that you're on the wrong side of this. So let's walk around this for a moment, because this really begins to pull together everything that we've said, and if I can say it well, will help us both understand it and apply it. When he's saying this, when he's saying these things, this is not a test question, that you sit down on a test and, okay, what's the right answer that Christians should answer? This is not a question that's just a past thing, like, where were you five years ago or 10 years ago? It's a present tense reality. It's asking you, where are you right now? If you find yourself loving God's people, you're on one side of it. If you find yourself hating God's people, you're on another side of it. It's meant to be found here, and that's important for us. In fact, we'll talk about it more again as we talk about assurance of salvation in a couple weeks, but I just want you to look even at the things we've begun to see, and one of the things you will learn with me is assurance of salvation is always a present thing. Biblical assurance of salvation is never found in a past reality where you're like, well, I remember when I gave my life to Jesus. I was there when the gospel was preached. That's never what's referred to, though there's truth there. But assurance of salvation is found in a present tense reality. Now, without getting too technical, please understand me. I'm not saying that you lose your salvation if that present tense reality isn't strong, but you lose the assurance of your salvation. You you can't, you can't be confident. The only way to have confidence is to have a present tense thing where you keep the Bible, you abide in Christ, you're practicing righteousness, and you love God's people. It's what gives you confidence because it's where you are right now. And that's what it's speaking about here, that it's telling us if we are presently in this, we're in the right space. Because it's more real, more definitive of our world than I can ever put into realities. that if we could look back and we could see the first murder, the first death. And you could understand that that's flowing in this hatred of what? Righteousness. Why did the first person who ever get killed get killed? Because his deeds were evil, his brothers were righteous. Now Jesus has come and he's the light of the world, and he's bringing in love, and is moving exactly contrary, and there are these two ebbs and flows moving in our world, and they are impacting our life and our world every day, and in one sense, he's just asking us, so which side of this you are you on? Now, my hope that as I say these things, that I'm saying things that for many of you, you would be fully clear, and even almost sensing them in your life. Let's begin with the positive. See, Here's the deal. If you love God's people, this is a really good thing. This is a really good thing. Now, we're called to love each other in Christ and sometimes that love is mercy and compassion that we are kind and and we uh, forgive each other and the Bible definitely talks about that and please don't misunderstand me. That's part of this. But in this context, that's not specifically what we're talking about. We're talking about loving God's people who are practicing righteousness. So if somebody, you find, hey, Christians that are loving God and they're doing the right thing, and he says, so how do you feel about that? I mean, when you see Christians, like, doing well, and they like, loving Jesus and serving Jesus, like, how does that work inside you? And he says, if, if you have Christ inside you, what happens is, is you just find yourself You love that. You love them. And I'm wanting just to say that for some of you, this is so real because it's honestly where you are today. I can speak, you know, not as a pastor up here preaching and saying this because you're supposed to say this. I just want to tell you as honestly as I can. I absolutely love you guys. I mean, I am delighted to be here today serving Jesus with you. I I think about what it is to sit next to And maybe it happened to you this morning. You're sitting next to people and people were worshiping and you were like, I don't even know these people and I like them. They're like, I just love it. Did you hear them singing? It's just so cool. And then you see somebody serving Jesus and you see somebody like doing something right. Like maybe they're sharing the gospel or they're showing mercy or there's an evangelist who's evangelizing or you hear a missionary and you don't even know them. I mean, you're just like, I like them. Like, I love that. I love seeing people do the right thing. I mean, it, just, it, it thrills my heart. I mean, there's just a piece of me that that just you know, yes, like that's 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 my king, that's my kingdom, that's that's the work of Christ. And he says, if you're there, if that's where you are, that's a really good good moment. It's not the only thing that defines that we are Christ, but it's it's certainly a great thing. Now that's really really helpful because for some of you, you struggle with doubt of your salvation over other things, over failures, over your past, or other things. But right now, you could honestly say, yeah, that's me. I I love it. I love guts people. <laughs> I really do love them, and just like hey, this is a really good thing. Like When you're there, when you can say, hey, I like that, I love that, when when that moves you in a good way, it's meant to say, I I think I'm on the right side of where things are. But let me talk to you about being on the wrong side of it and how that works because it honestly happens in real life. You know, I think about it. And again, I just wanted to use some of my own personal life and I'll use not recent things. I'll go back in time, partly because the early ones are, are more clear when they're there, but also so that there's no confusion over anything here. You know, I've been on both sides of this. You know, I can remember a time when I, I, was a, I was a Christian, but I backslid. I backslid for six months or something like that pretty early in my Christian life. And it just got into a bad season. And here's what I can tell you. Nothing. Irritated me more than Christians. I mean, when I was doing badly. I mean, I just want to tell you. I mean, Christians, those holy rollers. I mean, can you still call them that? You know, holy rollers. I mean, you know, I just like I just couldn't. I just it was just being around them. It's like stop smiling. You know, why are you carrying your Bible? You don't don't carry your Bible to school you know, what do you think you're, I mean, it's just everything about them graded at me, I mean, it's just like, oh, so much so I had a good friend that I even, you know, I just began pushing him away, kicking him out of spaces in my life, and I can honestly look back and say, what happened? I wasn't doing well, and just to be around anybody doing well, graded on everything that I am, that's definitive. When you find yourself there, it's not necessarily saying you're not a Christian, but it's certainly no confidence of your salvation in those moments. It's certainly a bad space. And where that is, it's definitive. But I wonder if you've been on the other side of that. I have a number of times, but I can still remember pretty early in my Christian life. I think I was a believer. It might have been a year. I might have been a a Christian for a year. I think it was about that long. Not positive. It it may have been less than that because memory can get kind kind of loose in the whole thing. But I can remember... We were there and uh, we, we were over at my family and my sister was there and I think it was my birthday and she gave me a note. And you know, if you ever get one of those like from a relative and like your birthday, you kind of have expectation. Do you ever do You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's gonna be one of those nice, nice little notes like I love you, you're just like my brother and I was really expecting it was gonna be kind of, it was not that kind of note. Instead, it was like, why are you, you know, always just preaching Jesus, why, why do you, every time you have to come around, you make us feel bad, and you know, you just need to quit pushing this Jesus thing, and quit talking, and, and, and I was like, it was very just like, and, but in the midst of it, I look back and go, that is really, I don't even, I mean, it's not like I was a great evangelist, I mean, let's just be clear, it's not like I was pounding them with tracks every time I saw them, I mean, I just wasn't, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing, like I mean, I mean, yeah, I go to church and I talk about Jesus, but but you know, she eventually got say, you know, turned her life back to the Lord, and, and and she's doing incredible. She's a missionary overseas, so I can say. But she would talk about that moment, and she would say, just to be around you was torture. Just to be in your presence was just like, ah, uh, you're doing the right thing, and I'm doing the wrong thing, and and it just it, it just was so incredibly convicting. I just want to tell you, that's how it's supposed to be. And that's how it is in the world. That he's telling us, hey, that's what we should expect. I mean, if we are the light of the gospel of Christ, and if we're shining in this world, then we should know this, that from the very first murder in the whole history of mankind, why did that happen? Because their deeds were evil. His deeds were evil. And Jesus came and says, that's what I found too. And it's what you're going to find as well. And so there is a sense where we should be able to look and say, Yeah. This is what's happening in our world. I mean, our world daily is defined by these realities in bigger ways than I can possibly say. And yet, guys, he's inviting us to see it. He's inviting us to have it. Now, let's be clear. You know, I think about all of this, and in one sense, we're talking about the love that we have, but I like how he gives it to us in the next verse. So we see all of this. He tells us in verse 15, he who hates his brother is a murderer." And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, verse 16, by this we know love, because he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we think about all of this, and we just know this, that love is known in Christ. I mean, the only way we could know love is because of Jesus. Now, this is true both in illustration, this is true in example, and this is true in reality. You would never know the love of God if you did not saved. The only way you could actually really know the love of God is being saved. And it tells us in Romans, when we get saved, the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, it was never there previous. So we're not kind of talking about manufacturing something. We're talking about the genuine article that is God's love in Christ inside our heart. Think about it this way. Uh, William MacDonald in his commentary on it, said it this way. Love here is not used in the sense of friendliness, or mere human affection, but it's divine love. This is God's love we're talking about. It's loving others as Christ loved us. Actually, this cannot be done in one's own personal strength, but only as empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that needs to be clear. You can't have this outside of Jesus. You can't have this without Jesus, and you can't live this without Jesus, and the only way to have this love is Him. But in Him, it is meant to define you. So much so that again, Jesus would say, By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, because you actually have it, because you love each other. That's how the world's going to know. This isn't a small deal. This isn't a bonus deal. This isn't just for some Christians. This is meant to define who we are. So, where are you on this? I'm just telling you, it's, it's affecting our world. It's oversimplification, but you're in one of three places. Either one, you are loving God's people. Not perfectly, but you are. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you struggle and you struggle with your own peculiarities, you struggle with the world, but you can honestly say, I love, I love God's people, especially when they're doing right. I mean, let's just be clear. We're not talking about embracing people's sin, and, and yes, we're supposed to be forgiving, but when you see somebody, I mean, they're doing the right thing. They're, they're loving Jesus, they're serving Jesus they're living for Jesus, if you find yourself saying, I love that, I love that, I love watching that, I mean, if you feel that, then this is a good moment for you. It's meant to be a, hey, this is a good space. Then you're on the right side of this, or hopefully you are. I mean, you still need all the rest of of the assurance, but boy, this is a certainly good encouragement. But maybe you're on the wrong side of this. I mean, honestly, maybe you are. Maybe you're here this morning, and you are barely standing being in our presence. I mean, you're like, I just can't wait to leave. Like, these people, they drive me crazy. Like, they just do. I can't believe it. Are they going to sing another song? I mean, just, I want to get out. I mean, maybe you're really struggling. Maybe you're online right now because of this very reality. Like, I don't like these people. Like, I don't mind going to church, but I wish I didn't have to go with people, you know, kind of deal. And you're like, I don't like them. I don't like being around them. I don't like anything. They just irritate me. That's a bad sign it's a bad sign. It is a sign that something's wrong. I'm not guaranteeing you're not saved, but I am asking. Because if you're at odds with Christ and you're at odds with this, it becomes a defining thing and saying to you, hey, you need to be saved. You need Jesus. I mean, if you are his, something's broken. You need to get it right because there's, there's something fundamentally wrong there. That's not right. It cannot be right. You cannot be right with God and not love his people you, it has to be there because we're not talking about your personality. We're talking about Christ in you that does this. So you're either in this really, really good place or you're in this really, really bad place, you know, and that's possible. And if you're in either one of those, I, I long for you just to hear it, but let's just be clear. Were life always that clear, it would be great. If it was always black and white, great. Some of you are like, well, what if I'm kind of in between? What if I kind of like them and they kind of irritate me? You know, what if it's kind of like a little bit of a mix? Let's just be honest. That just happens sometimes, And there's a lot of things to it. But I just want you to note, if that's where you are, something's wrong. And you should not be comfortable with that. You should not be in a place that you don't love God's people. Again, if if something's there, it should be a place. It's a place where you can't enjoy the assurance of your salvation. You can't enjoy that confidence that's ours because you're living a a place where something's broken. And, And I just want to call you to it. And I want to say, hey, cry out to God because it's not you. I'm not asking for your personality. I'm asking for Christ. I'm asking for the love of God to be poured out inside you by the work of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, and I'm telling you that would be definitive and draw you into the right space. So I'm inviting you there. So let's close there. You can close your Bibles, your notebooks, and I've given you three options, and there's probably more. It's oversimplification. But I just want you to take it before God where you are. Again, maybe it's a good moment. Maybe you're like, I think I actually do love God's people. This is a really good thing. I mean, I guess really con- this, this is really encouraging. May it be so. If you're again in the bad space and you don't like God's people, if being around, then, then, then hear it clearly. If that hatred is there, that's bad. That's murder. That, that, that's a heart that's, that's, that's broke our world. Get it fixed. Give your life to Jesus. Get right with him today. If it's in the middle, present it to him. Say, God, you know. I don't know why I'm wrong. I don't know where it is, but I know what I need, and it's not from me, it's from Jesus. So quietly, would you talk to him about that? I'll do the same. Just whatever that is, we're going to give you a quiet moment that you could just pray to him about that, and then we'll come back together and close and worship in just a moment. So you take a moment and pray about that, and then we'll come back. God, I thank you so much right now for the love of God in Christ. God, I thank you for those that are yours this morning and believe that you've done this very thing, that you've poured out your love inside of our hearts. God, where that's responding this morning, where even right now we can honestly say, God, I I love your people. I, I can look into my heart and again, Lord, you know me, you know where that's true, not true, and just hold it before you, but I can honestly say, Lord, I love your people. I love seeing them do well. I love seeing them serve you and give their lives for you and share the gospel. And I love it when they're doing the right thing. It just thrills me. God, thank you for that. Where that's present inside our hearts, would you just breathe upon that, the peace and the assurance and the confidence and the manifestation of being a child of God. Where it's not there, Lord. Where it is the hatred. Where it is, honestly, that the wickedness inside hearts, the doing evil like Cain, has people frustrated with people like Abel. Would you just make that very, very clear right now, that this is a bad space? Where somebody's irritated by righteousness. They're irritated to see people doing the right thing. Would almost wish they would just do the wrong thing. Okay, would you rescue? Would you draw these to Christ. Would you rescue some who might be yours but backslidden so they're just not staying in that space? Thank you that you could do that. And I pray for that right now. Lord, and I love the clarity of that, but I also know life is more confusing than that. Some are in the middle. It's not either or, it's a little bit of both. And it's just not a good space to be. Lord, you said that you could pour out the love of God in our hearts, that if we walk in the Spirit, We would have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. God, would you do that? Would you cause it to be where we are right now? And and for those that need that, that that would just be washing over their hearts and drawing them into the love of Christ and into the place that we love each other. And God, with that, I'm just asking for what you said, Jesus, that this is how the world would know we're yours the world would be able to recognize that we're genuine things, that we're genuine followers of you because the love of God is really happening in us. We love each other. Help, Lord. Make that us. Make it in us. I pray for it right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.